This boner. <laughs> it's on us. Show is. Wang is down. It's a boxing day boner. <laughs> you can hear. Poop, poop. <laughs> boxing day is, of course, the day after Christmas when the Brits fight each other. Over all of the wrappings that they need to recycle. Mm-hmm. That's super true. They come to blows. They come to fisty cuffs, as they say, across the pond. And across the nation. Across the nation, across the pond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm pretty down on the Brits most of the time. You sure are. And so we decided, let's be generous. <laughs> let's give, a, let's create a boner on us for their special day. Boxing sitting day. around. Hitting each other. With your, face. hitting each other with your paper crowns that, mm. I don't know why you wear those. They provide absolutely no head protection when you're getting boxed. That's such a good point. That's really good. Like, in your pajamas. If you break that cracker in somebody's face, you might have the element of surprise before you like sucker punch them. But yeah. That. They're called crackers because you punch them open. That's a really good point. <laughs> I'm learning Someone holds so the cracker much. on either end and then you punch them in the face through the cracker and then you get to keep the crown. Christmas crackers. Christmas crackers. That's what they are. The British. Eating your cold ham. Mm. Leftover ham. Watching the BBC Christmas specials. Another reason why this boner on us and the British and the Boxing Day is apropos. It's because on this Boxing Day boner mm. on us, we're talking about enemies to lovers. Yeah, we asked you guys to vote on what trope you liked best because Anytime we ask you to vote on something that you want us to talk about, no one votes. But we got 40 votes this time. Yeah, it turns out you guys want to talk about stuff. You just don't want to listen to us. But enemies to lovers, it's because Morgan is the enemy of England and now she has to talk about it. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I am the enemy of England. I know. All right. Enemies to lovers. Should we have a definition and then wildly speculate why people like it? Yeah. Yeah. So enemies to lovers is a trope in the romance genre wherein the people don't like each other and then they fall in love. Exactly. Is that it? That's super it. And they like they have wildly passionate speeches about why they don't like each other and like can't be together. And then they start making out. Sometimes rain is involved. I feel like the weather is I always like very inclement. I uh, talk about the 2005 Pride and prejudice that's the only one i want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) matthew mcfaden will never ever matthew mcfaden acceptable brit (laughs) super acceptable brit pride and prejudice is the og enemies of a lot of things it's the og romance people say people say and it's also the og enemies to lovers Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know this about mr darcy and elizabeth bennett but they actually didn't like each other what yeah what yeah who couldn't like Elizabeth Bennet? She's amazing. At the beginning of the book, Mr. Darcy doesn't. That's true because she's poor and she's got bad relations. He thinks she's like out to gold dig his friend. Yeah, Bingley. Bingley. Oh, Bingley. Doesn't like to read out of doors. <laughs> I don't either. The sun makes it hard. The sun does make I it I like hard. a sun I can control. A mm. lamp. Hot take. It's such a hot take. So Pride and Prejudice and Darcy and Elizabeth may be some people's OG, but my personal OG of this particular romance trope is Beatrice and Benedict from Much Do About Nothing. Okay. They hate each other so much and then they love each other so much and it's so good. And they have this beautiful mutual speech at the end where she's like, I love you so much in spite of my heart that there's none left to protest. I've never had hate sex, but Neither I think I'd be really I. good at it. <laughs> 
<laughs> what makes you think you'd be great at hate sex? Uh, what are what are the criterion for being good at hate sex? Well, I, I really have no idea, but I'm assuming it has something to do with like how deep you can hate. I think that would be necessary. I'm hateful. Which would necessitate that you'd be good hateful. at hate sex. Exactly. I think I would really, I think this little light's got to shine. Mm-hmm. This little hate light mm-hmm. of mine. Anyways, I think I would be good at it. Do you think that's why people like enemies to lovers? It's because they like to hate and they like reading about how people hate other people. Hate sex involves choking, doesn't it? Not always. I think it does. I don't think so. I've got weak hands. I take back what I said before. You don't have to do the choking. No, you, you have can to kill choked. them. One of you has to die at the end. That's not how hate sex works. I thought it was was like a snuff film <laughs> no one's filming it so no <laughs> not that you know of oh snuff films are actually one of my biggest fears i'm really scared that i'm gonna see one you can accidentally watch one on the internet these days that would be horrific and i know they exist and it freaks me out that people talk about them like an urban myth because it's like obviously these exist yeah and i'm also scared that i'm going to be tricked into being a part of a snuff film that's a weird fear to have i think it has to do with the first time i smoked pot did it make you paranoid No, not at first. (laughs) (laughs) That's been a gradual effect over time. I was like hanging out with my friends. It was like the first time I got high. I was like, this is pretty chill. And then one of my friends started talking about snuff films. What a weird thing to talk about when you're high. What's a normal thing to talk about when you're high? Food. Have you ever done a drug? The first thing I talked about when I got high for the first time was definitely food. I think it was the whoopie pies. You're you're being a little bit of an imperialist about pies conversation you're like the one thing you talked about is the only normal thing for people no it's not the only normal thing i think it is a very normal thing like snuff films feels like a whoa hold the phone sure oh my boyfriend just sent me money out of nowhere (laughs) oh that's so sweet that is so sweet what a nice thing oh that's gonna make it hard to choke him to death when i (laughs) turn to eat sex later Thanks for that money, but I told you to do the dishes, god damn it. Oh, I like you. Uh, Good thing you got weak hands. Yeah. I could use a ligature. And just like that, I'm back in the hate sex game. Were you ever really out of it? All the listeners across England on Boxing Day was like, she's going to figure it out. She wears tights. And the entire Isle of Britannia cried out in one single voice. We believe you. (laughs) And I heard you. Hate sex. Does anyone have it in an old timey book? Isabel. An Inconvenient Booty by Joe. No, I mean like I mean like a Pride and Prejudice. They don't have sex in Pride and Prejudice. They have a ton of sex. What did I read? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they have a ton of sex in the Pride and Prejudice fandom. Holy shit, they bang in all the time. They like don't have enough time to eat. They are definitely going to expire from all the sex that they be having. And it's hate sex. Sometimes. And so, you know, it's like, oh, they're pretty frail, pretty easy to kill during your hate sex, but all also, you're not eating, and so you're pretty frail, and you would have a hard time killing someone. Again, I think one of the key components of hate sex is that you don't kill them at the end. <laughs> you like get to go on hating them. It's the gift that gives. You kill them in the middle, and <laughs> neither of you finishes. <laughs> oh, God, that sounds like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> so you could be charged for murder, and you didn't come? Came on the inside. Wait. All female orgasms are clitoral orgasms. I just learned this. The clitoris is technically an external But it's also huge. It has internal parts. Yeah. Is the clitoris internal or external? Vote on our next Twitter poll. (laughs) Critical question. Is it 
it internal? Is it external? Both. Like, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You can stimulate it with an external yep. tool. If you can do that without, like, performing surgery, I think it's more of an external structure. But you can also stimulate the insides. That's why everybody... But, like, I mean, like, stimulate the insides, yeah, it's still, like, you can access it. Whereas, like, if you're an internal structure, you've got to, like, be cut to get in there. No, because the way in which a vagina works is a sleeve. It's like you can access pieces of the wings of the clitoris through your vagina. Yeah, but I'm saying like, it just feels like if we're talking about is it more internal, is it more external? The fact that it's so easy to get at the internal parts, they might as well be external. That's a hot take. Clitoris, why don't you just come all the way out? (laughs) I wonder what that would look like. A penis. You're right. No, because of the wings. I think like by necessity, the wings would shift and where they are and how they look. By necessity? Don't tell a clitoris what to do by necessity. Let the clitoris figure out what it's doing by necessity. Keep your wings, you little angel. Don't make yourself a tube. Don't make yourself a wiener. It's not going to sit on your pelvic floor in the same way anymore. So I think you need to dream bigger, dream broader. I guess. Dream more fully. I think it would be really intense if it was. You got to kind of make assumptions that there's like a whole part of this world that we cannot even imagine that is possible. Do you make those assumptions? Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like you're telling that clitoris it has to be a penis if it wants to come out. I'm saying no, it doesn't. It can look like one of those plastic birds that balances on your fingertip and it's just wings. In the seat of my pelvis. Like a golden snitch. Like surrounding my vulva? Yeah. This opens up a whole new thing. Yeah, I'm picturing like a golden snitch resting at the top. Hmm. You know, snitches do have uh, flesh memories. Get stitches. Have flesh memories. (laughs) Anyway, we've encountered several enemies to lovers books in our romance podcasting. Yeah, why do you think people voted for this one? Why do you think people like it the best? I think because it deals with strong emotions. I think the love-hate binary is endlessly fascinating for some people. You think it's just a matter of intensity. What were the other options? Friends to lovers? Friends to lovers. The lie one where you you have a fake relationship and then it's real. The lie one. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I think of it. The lie one's always nice. And marriage of convenience, which is mostly happens in historicals and fan fiction. That sounds by far the most interesting to me and it means to lovers. It's like, will they, won't they, even though you know they will because you're reading romance. Mm-hmm. You think it's an intensity thing? I do. I do. I think like it has so many spaces for like a miscommunication and then miscommunication to ramp up the intensity. And then finally, when they have that cathartic moment where they're like, you said this thing that really hurt my feelings. And they're like, I didn't mean it that way. I meant it this way. You misheard me. And they're like, oh, just bang it out. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, man. I love that switch. Feels instantaneous. It feels instantaneous. To me, I always think like enemies to lovers, whenever you really get down to it, it's more like lying to yourself. Mm. I think that might be part of the pull too, where it's like there's so much dramatic irony in enemies to yeah, lovers. Yeah, yeah. It makes like, Yeah. Like the audience is in on the thing that the characters aren't in on yet. And I think that makes it super fun. Do you think part of it is the fact that people want to think that there are people in this world who are secretly in love with them? Yes. I do too. <laughs> I mean, like, isn't that the secret wish? The people who are super mean to you and, like, who you are also mean to secretly love you and think you're brilliant and, like, imagine you in all sorts of scenarios? Yeah. Yeah, like, believing a friend is secretly in love with you is way more complicated in actuality than, like, someone who hates you and you don't spend time with being secretly in love with you. For sure. You know, and that's certainly the case for Never Sweeter. Mm-hmm. One of our more controversial picks. Twas. Twas. He did try to murder her. Yeah. Not choking during sex. Style. Car over a cliff. Style. Yeah. Non-penetrative. 
It's true. It was, it was external. It's, it's, you were. It was non-penetrating. <laughs> That's a good point. The attempted vehicular manslaughter. Just you've read Never Sweeter and you were like, the attempted vehicular homicide was the sexiest part. You should read Crash by J.G. Ballard. Interesting that you mentioned Crash. Morgan's recommendation corner. That's the one about the airplane crash in Alaska? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I am so excited. I'm sorry. I am so excited that I get to explain the premise of Crash by J.G. Ballard to you. Please do. You're familiar. You're into sci-fi. Yes. You're familiar with the author J.G. Ballard. Yes. So J.G. Ballard, he has a pulp background. You certainly wrote a lot of pulp sci-fi. But he also wrote some pretty fucked up shit that was considered more high art. I love that you're laughing. Literature with a capital L. I love him. I love, you know, high rise and, you know. Wasn't um, that just a movie with? Tom Hiddleston? It sure was. Have you seen it? I haven't, but I love Tom Hiddleston, so it's on my queue. It makes really good use of, it's got a lot of great people in it. It makes really good use of that thing that's kind of become a little hacky now, which is doing a really slow version of a popular song, but they do SOS by ABBA. Nice. And they do a really good job with it. I actually liked it. You know, High Rise is a really interesting book and concept, but Crash by J.G. Ballard, a movie starring one of my favorites, whose name always leaves me the minute I start a sentence about how much I like him. It's not the series of stories... No. Okay. That one best picture that you're in 2005? No. No. Crash is, I'm discovering, a really popular title for things. Can't copyright titles, friends. So Crash by J.G. Ballard is about a man in London, a pretty well-to-do man in London. He and his wife have a pretty adventurous, open marriage, sex life. He gets in a car accident, Mm -hmm. a pretty brutal car accident, and through that, discovers this sexual subculture of people who get off on violent car accidents, Creating them, experiencing them, watching people die. Oh my God. Watching the crashes happen. They really sexualize the broken parts of cars and bodies. There is a movie adaptation by one of my favorite directors. He sets it in Canada and he makes it more about the film industry than I think J.G. Ballard's, although J.G. Ballard's is also very tied to the showbiz references. I look it up. Yeah, I mean, the link between um, gore, violence, and film, and sex Sexuality is an interesting one. 1996, is that right? What a year. I was five. How old were you? Why do you do this? It's like I a was fun nine. thing to do. Okay, great. Stars James Spader. Whoa. It also stars Patricia Arquette Whoa. and Holly Hunter. Whoa. It is directed it's just like my whole mind is going blank David Cronenberg Mm. Um, but there's a really infamous sex scene that's not actually a sex scene but there's a lot of the book Crash I think it came out in like the 60s has a lot of um, bisexuality and talks about like scarred and deformed sex organs and thinking of body parts besides like vulvas and penises as sexual organs which is really interesting but it's J.G. Ballard so it's really fucked up so David Cronenberg illustrates this kind of pervasive theme of the book through this like really shocking scene where Patricia Arquette's character always wears mini skirts and she has these leg braces and these pretty savage stapled up scars up the back of her thighs that look kind of like the seams on hosiery and James Spader fucks the wound. Yeah. Ouch. That hurts. Yeah. I think that's a really weird way and a very Cronenbergian way of getting around the problem of like, you can't show a deformed penis. Maybe that's it. I really want to know why he made that choice. 
but you can show the different. I'm sure he's a, a listener, and I'm sure he'll send us a message directly on Twitter where we are at Nance underscore Woe. So, anyways, <laughs> what a digression. But it is an enemies to lovers, but it's kind of a in crash, but it's kind of like a real enemies to lovers. Like they can't stop being around each other, but they do truly dislike and misunderstand one another. The two male central characters, and then one of them has to die. I think that's what's interesting too about enemies to lovers where it's like sometimes the contrivance of how they have to be together feels just like that like it's contrived but other times like the way in which they orbit each other is like two circling predators Mm. and I think that only adds to the intensity of the thing once like they either crash together and decide that they don't hate each other anymore or discover that their misunderstandings were simply that yeah misunderstandings yeah you're right it is actually a really simple solve for what in real life is a super complicated emotion, which is disliking someone. Especially if you're a woman, because you're always kind of taught that your hate is not a tool and is not something powerful. It's something to be avoided. Right, because it's not in the family of being pleasing. Yeah, exactly. Pleasing people don't hate people. Yeah, it's a really easy solve and in fact proves that there was never a problem to begin with. Mm -hmm. He was not actually your enemy. You just always liked each other. So much indeed that it felt like hatred. Yeah, which is why I encourage everyone to read Crash by J.G. Ballard and like really because all of the relationships are people who are pretending to like each other but in fact are very contentious but still have this sexuality. In fact, everyone should read Crash by J.G. Ballard and watch The Night Porter. Yes. We should put together a Womance gift bag that is a Criterion edition of The Night Porter, a copy of Crash by J.G. Ballard, and one of our stickers. And maybe some chocolates to like make it all go down. To make it sexy. <laughs> I mean, it's sexy no matter what. It's sexy it's already. It's just going to make you that feel complicated feelings. Yeah, it's going to make you feel sexy because, you know, J.G. Ballard is actually not a... Sorry, this is turning into a boner on us on J.G. Ballard. Who's going to be mad? It's Bob. Boxing day. Yeah. Shut up and listen. <laughs> he is very good at like the corporeal and describing corporeal sensation. Did you watch Kingdom of the Sun? Yes. That's his autobiography. Oh. That's his childhood. Okay. That explains a lot. Sure does. Also like the term Cronenberg and like Cronenberging it. Cronenbergian? Yes. Thank you. You're going to use that now? No, I'm not going to use it now, but it comes up in stuff that I watch. And I'm always like, I know that guy, but like I get him confused with David Fincher. Oh, well, that's dumb. No, <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're just kidding. We should have a Cronenberg movie marathon. What would I include? Me being stoned. Don't be stoned. That's like your friend talking about snuff films while you're stoned. Your that friend. Idea. The people who watch Cronenberg movies stoned, mm-hmm. I hope they're okay. <laughs> I hope they're okay, too. That's it. But yeah, J.G. Ballard. No, the Empire of the Sun is J.G. Ballard's autobiography. Crazy. Yeah. So like if you listen, if you're put in a concentration camp in the same room with your parents and you listen to them fight all day and then have sex all night, you're probably going to produce something similar to Crash. And also, speaking of post-structuralist, he's got some interesting books. But he's also like a pulp science fiction writer. Big time misogynist. Huge. Kind of comes with the territory in the 60s. Yeah. Finally, like Asimov was super kind to women. Uh, not at all. People think J.G. Ballard might be worse, just to give you a yardstick. Cool. <laughs> How exciting. I don't know. What are we talking about? Enemies to lovers. Enemies to lovers. It does seem like the 
hype. And it was weird whenever we were looking back at our catalog or looking back at our catalog now, the examples that we have seem pretty limited because it seems like, oh, our first ever episode about... Um, Colin and Minnie. Yeah. Enemies to lovers. And then she discovers that he actually was obsessed with her and that's mm-hmm. why he called her names. He made up all of those other M names. Mm-hmm. If you discovered an enemy was in fact in love with you, how would you want to find out? Would you want to find out via heartfelt confession a la Mr. Darcy in the Rain or strained heartfelt confession? Or would you want to find out via notebook like Minnie did? The notebook was sweet. Really, I would want the passionate speech, but like the one where we're yelling at each other and then it's just like too hot to handle and it's like we're making out. Both of us made the first move after the yelling. Mm. I think I'd prefer the notebook. You get to process it in your own time then. Yeah, exactly. Like I think if I was really angry at someone and then they're like, I love you, I'd be like, I'm not done here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm still mad. And I want to like process that with you now. I don't think that would be my move. I think I would feel like very upset. And I would immediately assume that they were lying and trying to get me to stop. Oh, wow. Yelling at them, Hmm. which is actually what Mr. Darcy was doing. A lot of people don't understand that paratext or not paratext, that underlying theme is that Mr. Darcy just wanted Elizabeth to stop yelling at him and then he just kept doubling and tripling down until they ended up married. (laughs) Happily ever after, you tell me. You tell me. I mean, the fandom certainly thinks so. I think that's pretty much all I have to say. IRL. In real life? In real life. What trope would you most want to live out? Of the four that we did for the Twitter poll? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Fake one that becomes real? (laughs) Pretending and then you're like, we actually fall in love? Because like then there's like acting involved and like you have to convince other people and then when it all comes out, like it just feels like if I had to enact that in real life, like it would be so deeply complicated. It would just take up so much of my time. I think I would use social media less. Like I think I'd be strangely productive. I think that would be way too much anxiety. It'd be a lot. That would probably be the one I would be least interested in. The lie one, as you described it. I do. The fake one. Yeah. What about you? Which one would you prefer? What's the one where you cut open their couch and then you live in their couch and you pretend to be their couch and then they eventually realize you were there the whole time and you were the most important part of their life? Was that couch to lovers? (laughs) Friends I would just like to hide in a piece of furniture and then when I emerged, everything had worked out. Why the couch couch and not the bed or like other furniture? You know what I mean? Like the couch, depending on their couch, might not be that comfortable. I want to be in a public space. Oh, so you can like eavesdrop? No, just so I can feel seen even when I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag too real. (laughs) Someone needs me. I'm so supportive (laughs) for all of you. I'm already a part of your family. I'm always already here. Couch to lovers for sure. Got it. Cool. With that, the final sip of the peppermint tea consumed. Mm. First sip of the spicy Bloody Mary. Mm. Still fresh on my lips. Happy holidays, y'all. Happy Boxing Day to our second largest listening contingent. (laughs) You Brits. You did it, you other English-speaking nation. (laughs) We're glad that you listen. Thank you. This boner on us is... I love you. (laughs) For all of us. Don't hurt yourself, Morgan. I actually love you. (laughs) And I I used to love lovers. It's real. It's real. Britt and I was in your couch the whole time. It was me. I think that's whales. I love whales. (laughs) Loosen your paper crowns. But never your crackers. Mwah. Mwah!
Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listening app. Until next week.